The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And I'm delighted today to have with us David Hackenberg. David is a beekeeper, and he's been at this profession for over 50 years. I met Dave at the Beyond Pesticides meeting in Cleveland, Ohio just a few weeks ago, and I was mesmerized by your talk. The whole audience was mesmerized by your talk, and of course, we're very concerned about the colony collapse disorder, which we're seeing right now. So, Dave, welcome. Thank you. So, I started to ask you before the show how you got started doing beekeeping. Why don't you tell our listeners how your life unfolded a little bit? I was born and raised in a dairy business in, uh, here in central Pennsylvania, and my Father got hurt in, a, hurt in a farm accident when I was uh, young, and uh, I was raising veal calves for a VOAG project, FFA project in high school, and uh, we were getting ready to move off the farm because of his illness and so on from his accident. And so we ate a lot of honey, and I got a couple hives of bees in 1962 and started keeping bees, and uh, by the time I graduated in 66, I had, uh, I guess, several hundred hives and uh, became my life profession. Well, you have been featured in several films, documentary films, about what's going on with bees, and I think that you've probably been identified as the leading beekeeper in the United States with regard to your awareness of bee colony collapse disorder. Dave, you've been at this profession for over 50 years, and I imagine you've witnessed a lot of change. Tell me a little bit about how bees are used in pollination with industrial agriculture and some of the changes you've witnessed over the past 50 years. Well, you're right about change. I mean, when I started keeping bees 50 years ago, if you talked about pollination, you know, you were pollinating crops for maybe the apple orchard down the road who probably had 25 or 30 acres apples or a couple of those guys like that, and and for that, I mean, you basically were a producer, and California, you know, was probably the biggest thing yet at that time was almonds in California, and there was probably only five, 6,000 hives of bees going to almonds, and the guys were getting $5 a hive for them, and apples here on the East Coast, we probably got $3 to pop, if we, if, when we got paid, we got 3 to $5 for apples, but over the 50 years, a lot of things have changed in agriculture, and the fact is that Everything has gotten bigger. Family farms, you know, are going, I mean, they're still family farms, don't get me wrong, but the family farms, there are family farms that have gotten bigger, and of course you got the big, huge operations that are uh, run by companies and so on. So we've now become from, if you wanted pumpkins 20 years ago or 30 years ago, you planted a pumpkin in your backyard and you got a pumpkin, or a farmer planted a pumpkin and sold a couple out along the road. And the reason I bring up pumpkins because I pollinate a lot of pumpkins that are jack-o'-lantern pumpkins. And now it's like the almonds and the blueberries and the apples and everything else. It's multiculture. There's, you know, we've got acres and acres of these things. And to, to, to pollinate them, you need lots of beehives to get the job done. And so we have gone from, and the numbers of beehives in the United States has, has decreased in the last 50 years by, more than half. There was probably close to 5 million hives of bees in the United States in 
in 50 years ago were four or five million today. There's a little, little just a hair over two million. So, and the number of beekeepers have decreased drastically too. So, as we need more bees to pollinate more crops because of the kind of crops we're growing, the fruits and vegetables and nuts, almonds, so on and so forth, bees are having to crisscross the United States to, to get the job done. In my own operation, some of my highs move 12,000 miles a year just crisscrossing the United States and up and down the East Coast pollinating crops. Some of my bees pollinate as high as, high as four crops a year. Hmm. So it's become, you know, it's become part of part of beekeeping. Now, not, not everybody does what we're doing, but, you know, pollination has become a part of just about every commercial beekeeper's livelihood just so they can stay stay alive. You know, it was I, I thought it was very interesting, and I, I don't know how many people realize this, but how dependent we are upon bees for the kinds of foods that we take for granted every day. So the the statistic I've seen is that bees support about one-third of our agricultural plants. So every third bite of food is dependent upon a bee for pollination. Is that true? Yeah, well, you know, one out of every three bites of food that we put in our mouth is is somehow related to pollination by the honeybee, whether it's fruits and nuts like the almonds and or, or whether it's the pumpkins you you know that, that you you eat or you or you use for jack o' lantern or the milk you drink. You know the the alfalfa has to be pollinated, or the clover has to be pollinated, so the capitals have feed. So you know, yeah. So you know, bait. You know, particularly we're talking about seventeen to eighteen billion dollars worth of agricultural products in the states here are dependent on are dependent on honeybee for for pollination. Hmm. So, have you lost bees to what we're now referring to as colony collapse disorder? I've lost lots of bees to colony collapse disorder. Yes, I'm. I'm actually the guy that's you know that they claim is the guy that, that discovered this or or whatever this you know whatever they call this that I done. But I mean, and what we've seen was we've seen problems going on since the early 2003, four in there. And in fall of 2006, after, you know, lots of us beating our heads against the wall trying to figure out what was going on, you know, I just happened to be at the right place at the right time, moved some bees from one crop to another crop, and there was other bees present that that didn't, didn't disappear, and yet 400 hives or 370-some hives out of 400 in three weeks' time just vanished into thin air. And so we started putting the you know dots together and and decided that you know this wasn't something that happened you know and I got the scientists involved and because I've had you know lots of connections with those folks for years and was able to you know to get the right people on the job real quick and and you know nobody knew that it was called colony collapse disorder at that point I mean it wasn't until a couple of months later that somebody somebody named this but but uh yeah, I mean, we've lost, and, and, you know, lots of bees, and one of the first people to basically start talking about this back in, in 2004, actually, and, and we were having problems that we couldn't put our finger on. And as the years going, the last several years have gone by, you know, this this situation has spread across the United States uh, very, you know, it's gotten worse every year. It has actually gotten worse, and and this year was no, this past winter was no exception. I mean, the scientists and the people that are following it figure this was the worst, you know, 
this winter, past winter, will be the worst year ever. And this is a problem that's occurring globally, is that right, the the European it's, Union? It's globally. I mean, well, you, when you say globally, there's other places in the world that are having the same problem. And then when you start looking at what's going on in those places and what's going on here, you know, we see some of the same things going on. And uh, we've seen some changes made in some parts of the world where they've done away with some of the some of the things that we think think are part of the problem, and and the bees' health has has improved. Well, let's talk about what you perceive to be as the problem. Do you have any gut feelings about what is at the root of the colony collapse disorder? Well, one of you know, on about the time that we we and and I should say not even on about the time because even in the late nineties there was some systemic chemicals brought into this country and Canada and so on, and, and the Canadians started seeing problems. And and as we systemics came into use here in, in the United States, not right away the first year, but as they keep getting used more and more, we start to see problems that basically the bees seem to be losing their memory. They uh, don't want to eat. Their populations don't grow, uh, you know, so on and so forth. And as corn, soybeans, especially corn, moves across across the continental United States in the last couple of years with the, you know, with ethanol and everything else that's going on, and corn going through to Dakota, moving into Dakotas where it's never been before. Beekeepers that didn't see these problems several years ago, after two years on corn, are starting to see the same thing that we've been seeing here for a number of years. So. And in, in Japan and, and other places around the world where they started using these systemics in the last couple of years, we're getting calls from beekeepers and, and news media and so on and so forth. Hey, we got a problem over here. And you ask them the question, oh, well, are you using these, you know, you using systemic nicotinoids and so on and so forth? And the answer is, yeah, we started using them about two, three years ago and all of a sudden we're starting to lose bees. Hmm. Well, one of the things you mentioned was that as corn moves, bees start collapsing. And so is it that the corn production is using these nicotine-based pesticides? Well, what's going on with corn is, we, we, like I said earlier, you know, corn, you know, with the ethanol plants going through the Midwest and in parts of South Dakota, North Dakota, there was never any corn. I mean, in, in, in the middle of North Dakota, we didn't, you know, you go back five, ten years ago, there wasn't any corn even planted there. Today, there's corn everywhere because, and there's corn in places in the east where there was never corn before because, you know, it's, somebody's got the great idea that, you know, we're going to produce ethanol. Whether or not that makes any sense or not, I'm not going to argue about that. But, but the thing is, as, as corn moves, and, and, and people say, well, why do bees work corn? Well, unfortunately, at the time of the year when corn pollinates, which is late July and early August, there's really nothing else out here. The bees are looking for pollen sources, and they go to corn. I mean, corn pollen. When corn pollinates, there's lots of it in the air. And if you're, you know, if you're allergic to pollen, you you know that. I mean, it's 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 just flying everywhere. So the bees really don't have a hard time following it. They also work soybeans and cotton and all these other crops and 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 weeds and so on and so forth that have came in contact with these systemics and, and get the same thing. It's not all corn. I mean, it's just that corn is a big is a big crop, and as as corn moves. I mean, across this country, it's pretty evident to watch the collapse of honeybees as as you follow the, as the corn as corn goes across the country. Well, Dave, do you think that the honeybee collapse has anything to do with the genetic modification of the corn? 
that, you know, we've had genetically modified corn for a long time, but when you start, you start putting, you know, you start putting seed treated corn, you know, you're, you're putting the pesticide in the seed, the seeds growing up through the genetically modified corn, you're mixing fungicides, which at, for a long time we never thought fungicides had a, had a great issue with with honeybees. I mean, it may had some issues, but not not real detrimental issues. But now we're even concerned about fungicides because of the fact that we're seeing that when you use some of these systemics, interesting things start to happen. When you mix the fungicides and the and the pesticides together, you start seeing uh, some interesting things. In fact, I have just in front of me here a, a main pesticide chart from the main cooperative extension for, for blue, wild blueberries. And one of these systemics, there's mention here in, in the warning, the note in the warnings, it says, we have found no delirious effect on honeybees, but lab tests suggest that delirious effects on honeybees when the pesticide interacts with fungicides. Mm. So, I mean, here we have uh, a bulletin that's going out to farmers basically stating what, you know, somebody, you know, published this thing. I mean, State of Maine published it, but, you know, somebody else is seeing this besides us. I mean, and, and, and we are seeing these kind of things. The other thing that we're seeing going on is that in these colonies, we're seeing brood development problems as these pesticides and, and these combinations and the pesticide itself may not be the whole problem. It may be the, 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 the metabolite, metabolites that the pesticide breaks down to, you know, when it, when it breaks down. We know what some of them metabolites are, and some of the metabolites are actually worse probably than the pesticide itself. But when you start blending all this stuff together, it's like you and I we, and everybody in the audience, when we went to chemistry class when the teacher was out, we sat there and played around, and we mixed a bunch of chemicals together to see what would happen. And eventually, we probably had a little explosion, but we didn't know really what we really did because we don't know what made the explosion, and that's exactly what's going on here. We're having an explosion out here in, in the environment, but we have all these chemicals that we have stuck in these fields and in our lawns and our golf courses and over the years that have gone down in the soil, and they're there. I mean, they haven't gone away. And then all of a sudden, we put something in there that, is making something happen to bring some of this stuff back out. Mm-hmm. Penn State University has, has, has pulled lots of samples of pollen, and they're finding all kinds of, you know, we're finding all kinds of pesticides, fungicides, uh, herbicides, you know, mixtures of this stuff in the, in the same sample pollen. So, in other words, the bees going out there, and we used to only worry about hard chemicals that killed bees dead on the spot. Right. And we knew what to do about that. You picked up and moved or, you know, now we have no idea what's going on. We don't know what, what the killer is or what, what's messing up, you know, messing up there. So, and when they bring this stuff in and feed it to the young, it's causing all kinds. It's basically like birth defects. I mean, we're having, we're having bees that aren't developing at the proper age. So a colony of bees is just a total overlap of generations. So if you have the young bees and they're not they're not staying in the hive long enough for because something's messing up their minds and they're taking off before they going to the field before they should, we don't have the bees there that need to feed the young. The young aren't de- getting de- getting developed properly. The food's not good enough for them. And by the time them bees go to the field to be field workers, or they've already been there and they've been there too, they've got there too early. They they can't get the job done. They die too young, and and there's just a whole lot of things going on that 
it's just it's just hard to explain but stop and think about you know what happens with people and and birth defects and and when they're not you know something goes wrong as through their life you know everything seems to get messed up and and that's exactly what we're seeing inside honeybee if you're just joining us we're speaking with david hackenberg He's the beekeeper who first discovered the mysterious disappearance of honeybees, now known as colony collapse disorder. Mr. Hackenberg spoke at the Beyond Pesticides meeting a few weeks ago in Cleveland, and I was mesmerized by his presentation about what is happening with regard to our bees. You know, Dave, you have such great experience, over 50 years' worth, and you've been featured in The Vanishing of the Bees and Nicotine Bees, as well as on 60 Minutes. And I know you you operate about 3,000 hives in five states for pollination and honey. And I'm wondering if you see a worsening of the condition in certain states more than others or if there are certain practices or certain identifiable pesticides that seem to be at the heart of this. I mean, I, I appreciate very much your mentioning of this toxic soup of pesticides and fungicides, but are we any closer to pinpointing a solution well, I there's a solution. We're, uh, you know, we got scientists working on this, and you know, it's it's like, uh, well, unfortunately, pesticides. We don't know what's in these pesticides, and EPA don't know what's in these pesticides because the chemical companies have gone gone to Congress a number of years ago and got them to basically let them produce whatever they want to produce without anybody knowing. When you go down to the store and buy a pesticide and it says 15% or 5% of the active ingredient and 85% or 95% is inert ingredients, nobody knows what the inert ingredients are. So the inert ingredients may be worse than the pesticide or the fungicide or whatever itself. And that is all, they are protected under law that they don't have to divulge what's what's in there. So uh, the combinations of what they're putting out here to make it work may be part of the problem. Maybe maybe what's in there is inner ingredients to make that pesticide do what it's doing could be part of the problem. And the problem is that the only way you can figure this thing out is by re- reverse science. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of people out here besides the chemical world, that know how to engineer reverse science. I mean, most of the people that, that know how to handle something like that are basically employed by the chemical companies. And so even the scientists that are working on this, the universities and the USDA folks and others, are, are baffled because they know that there's something going on, but they don't know how to figure out what's in there and what's working together to make this all do what it does. So if you were to make any recommendations to the everyday home gardener, uh, would it be simply not to use pesticides? Well, you know, that that's the first thing. I mean, you know, uh, pesticides are, you know, are just a byproduct from the wars and, and the chemicals we use in the wars. I mean, that's basically what you're looking at. And as a lawn, as a gardener and, and lawn person, you're a lot better off to, to go out there and do something natural and you ought to put these, these pesticides and so on and so forth in the ground. I mean, because you really don't know what you're putting out there. I mean, you have no idea what you're putting out there because the label don't even tell you what you're putting out there. I mean, it just says, well, it kills or it, 
breaks down the memory and the, and the insect goes away. Well, if it breaks down the memory and the insect goes away, what's it doing to you? I mean, you know, we can. There's a lot of natural things that you know you can find online to do. And if you are going to use pesticides, try to use ones that are friendly to the birds and friendly to 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 the environment and and and, and you know pollinators. Not only the honeybees, but all the all the pollinators, the butterflies, you know, and I mean butterflies and all these wild insects are are all there for purpose, and they're they're pollinating crops that that for the wildlife and so on. The other thing people can do is plant plant gardens, you know, flower gardens for the insects, for the beneficial insects, and so on. The interesting thing about about the pesticide issue, there's more pesticides used by by lawn and, and garden, you know, whether it's private or or the people that are doing it for commercially. Then the farmers are using the tonnage. The tonnage in the United States is probably almost a third more by by homeowners and so forth than than uh, than agriculture. And and another thing about if you're going to use these products, make sure you read the label. I mean, most people go out there and pick something off the shelf, take it home and look at it and say, well, I guess you know, just throw this out there. Well, guess what? That stuff's going in your water supplies, and, and you know whether it's your water or your neighbor's water or public water supplies, and the pesticide levels keep growing in our water, and unfortunately. We have to drink that and not just, you know, I'm 60-some years old. I'm not going to be here that much longer. But I have a lot of kids and grandkids, and everybody out there listening has kids and grandkids. You know, I'm more worried about them than I am myself. Dave, do you think that we'll be able to turn this around? Or in your darkest days, do you think that the the bees are the canary in the coal mine, so to speak? And I've heard it described actually more, more tragically that what we're really facing is civilization collapse disorder. Do you think that we're too late? Do you think that there's hope? I've been asked that question many times. And, you know, the canary in the coal mine, I never thought of it that way until somebody from USDA, you know, early on in this whole thing. I mean, not somebody working on this, but somebody else said something about, well, you know, honeybees are canary in a coal mine because they are, they're out here in the environment. You can't put a fence around a hive of bees. A hive of bees, you set a hive of bees out there, and they're going to fly in any direction they want to go to. You can't, it's not like a cow, you can build a fence around it or, or a sheep or something like that. They're going to fly out there, and if there's something out there in the environment, they're going to bring it back home. And so I guess that's, you know, the right, it's the, the canary in the coal mine. And, and unfortunately, you know, what they're getting is probably we're seeing some of the same things in the human side. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not looking at that. I'm, I just know about honeybees, but I have doctors and so on talk to me about what's going on in the water and so on and so forth, and it's pretty spooky. Have we gone too far? I mean, I would hope not, but somebody's got to mend their ways and mend their ways very, you know, pretty quick. And, and you know, it's going to take. It's going to take people out there in your audience that are concerned, and, you know, you can pick up your phone and call your congressmen and senators and say, hey, I'm worried about this, and uh, what are we going to do about it? It's serious. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a friend who has a, a beehive in her backyard, and one of her neighbors was just using that the seven dust, thinking that it was basically non-toxic, and she ran outside and she said, don't use that, that's going to hurt my bees. So the point that you made about you know the home gardener and the the lawn and garden services using a tremendous amount of pesticides, and the fact that we use these products without really understanding the devastation that they can have, I, I think they're sold to us in ways that we think, oh, it's it's harmless, 
you know, it'll just take care of the unwanted pests, but we don't think about the unintended consequences. You're ex- actually right. I mean, and I want to reiterate what I said about you're a gardener or lawn taking care of your lawn. You need to you need to read read that label. And unfortunately, a lot of us don't read labels. We don't even read like somebody at EPA told me one day. Well, you read the label on the medicine the doc the prescription the doctor gives you. Well, guess what? He's absolutely right. And you know we're all guilty of it. But this is our environment, and this is our we only have one. You know it's. <laughs> We only have one environment, and, and you know, and if we ruin it, and we're ruining it not only for ourselves, but for you know, generations to come. Well, David, I really want to thank you for being with us today, and to and for raising these issues in the media. I want to remind our listeners that we've been speaking with David Hackenberg, who is the beekeeper who first discovered the mysterious disappearance of the honeybees, known as colony collapse disorder. And I encourage you all to follow David's work. Uh, The Vanishing of the Bees and Nicotine Bees are two excellent films in which Mr. Hackenberg was featured. Mr. Hackenberg is also the president of the American Beekeeping Federation, and you also sit on the National Honey Board. As consumers, I think we we must all pay very close attention to this. Um, And I want to remind our listeners that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. David, thank you so much for being with us today, and good luck with all of your upcoming travels and pollination. Thank you kindly.